Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host today, Sheena Yap Chan. Our special guest joining us today is the creator and executive producer of the hit Fox show, The Cleaning Lady. And I'm so excited to have her here today. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Miranda Kwok. Miranda, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Uh, maybe share a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Miranda Kwok. I'm the creator and executive producer of The Cleaning Lady, which has suddenly become the top uh, drama premiere on Fox Network. It actually has the highest rating of a drama premiere in the last two years. Awesome. And congrats to that. I think it's Great. I really love The Cleaning Lady. You know, the storyline is phenomenal. I love the strong Asian female characters that you have on the show and just creating the representation that we love. And, you know, I want to kind of dial it back a bit and would love to know a little bit more about where you grew up. Well, I know where you grew up. I'd love, you know, the audience would love to hear where you grew up and how life was like before all this happened. Yeah, I grew up in um, Toronto, Canada. Uh, My parents were immigrants from Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong and China. And um, I guess I, my foray into the arts began when I was 10 years old. I um, went to an art school. Um, I was actually good at visual arts. And so my teacher sent me to audition to this school called the Claude Watson School for the Arts. And um, it was this full day of auditions where I actually had to, um, well, basically you had to excel at, a, at three out of four arts in order to get into the school. So Somehow I got in. I, you know, I'm Asian, so I had to play the piano growing up, so I knew how to read music. And um, I managed to get into the School for the Arts and um, was very inspired by a lot of my classmates and my friends who were drama majors. And even though I was a very shy kid, um, they kind of inspired me to, to get into storytelling and get an agent and get in front of the camera. I love that. And yeah, it's not typical, you know, for, you know, Asian, Asian kids to go into the arts, right? Especially when we have parents who tell us like, that's not a real career. That's not a real job. What are you doing? Why don't you go get a real job? You know, study to be a doctor, an accountant, you know, the typical path that we're told to do. But um, you, you went out there, you, you decided to go for the arts. You had people who encouraged you along the way to get an agent and get really serious about it. And you know, what was that like to realize, like, you know, this is something that you really wanted to do in your life and make it serious and take it into a full-time career? Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely had uh, people that encouraged me. My parents were not one of them. <laughs> they definitely did not want me to pursue um, a career in, in the arts or in acting. And after the art school, they actually said, okay, this is all fun and games. When are you going to get serious with your life? Um, but the arts program actually continued into Earl Haig, and um, I managed to get into the gifted program there. So my parents are at least happy with that. And um, I actually thought I would become a psychiatrist, um, you know, because I'm Asian again. So I'm supposed to become a doctor or lawyer or something like that. Um, so I started counseling on a rape crisis line and actually did some volunteer work at a women's shelter. And for a while, I actually thought that that would be my career path. Um, and I was just, you know, really motivated to just help people. I had some friends who, you know, were struggling in their lives. And 
um, you know, was able to sort of help them get through some things. And, you know, but it was, you know, it's very challenging. It's very difficult. And it's a lot to take on. I was actually only 18 years old when I was working the lines. And, um, you know, I realized that I, I miss the arts and that there, there's other ways to help people. And, um, and so I saw, you know, the way I, I kind of see film and TV is being able to affect people in a different way. And, you know, a lot of people can be very closed off in their own lives, but they can, you know, sit in front of their TV and just bawl their eyes out because a story has affected them or a character has moved them and that they can connect with that person. And so... I really see writing as an opportunity to reach a broader audience and affect more people. And so that's why I ultimately chose, you know, writing as a career path. I love that. And it's so true, right? Media can really reach out to a whole big audience, right? Especially when there's an audience where they're craving for representation, when they want, you know, storylines that can relate to them or have characters that look a little bit like themselves, right? It's so important to have that out there. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't easy for you to even, you know, be a creator and, a, and, a, and an executive director for the show, right? Like a an Asian woman in Hollywood who decided to create her own show and then go through that whole process. Like, what was that like? Was there a lot of pushback or was it, did you get the support? I mean, I'm, I was just curious because it's, it's not typical, of course, right? And most people, if they get one rejection, it's like, okay, that's it. It's not working. I'm going to go back now and, you know, go back to my old job. But you decided to, you know, make this happen. But love to hear a little bit more about how that came about. Yeah, I mean, I guess the journey did start back as an actor because even as an actor, there's not a lot of roles out there. You know, you're playing you know, waitress number two or, you know, some Kung Fu movie. And I've done a lot of those and I love them. You know, I, I actually have a black belt in Wushu. Um, so I fully embrace, you know, the, the roles that were out there for me. And yet, you know, I was craving more and more deeper storytelling and, and, and something that, you know, telling a story that mattered. And so, um, you know, so the, the first obstacle in that, in that journey was just figuring out, you know, if there aren't, aren't enough roles for people like me, like, and there's not enough stories that I actually care about, like, what, what can I do about it? And so I decided that in order to tell the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell, I had to write. And so, um, well, first, I, I mean, I actually moved to LA to become an actor. And of course, you know, that's when I met all these amazing writers and directors and producers and realize that there's so many other options. And I'm not the kind of person to sit around and wait for my phone to ring. So I started producing um, and then I decided to write. There are actually a lot of programs that are out there for diverse voices and people of color. And so I think even though it's not an easy path, um, I, I actually did apply to some programs. So the first program I applied to was Film Independent, uh, had a program called Project Involve, which was for people of color who were trying to transition into a different, um, a different field. And so I thought, okay, I applied as a producer and I actually managed to get into that program. And through Project Involve, um, the directors of that program actually recommended me for a scholarship to the LA Film School Feature Development Program. 
So I managed to, I, went, I won that scholarship as a producer um, and that I actually had to meet a couple, you know, writer directors and convince them that I'd be the producer for them and produce two shorts through that, through that program. Um, I did take a, you know, through that course, they actually had a, a, a screenwriting program, but that was for features. So I, I still had no idea how to write television and I'm completely self-taught as a writer. During that time, I was I produced these two shorts. I was trying to produce a feature for a friend of mine, and it's a really hard road. It's it's really hard as an independent producer with no credits to actually you know have any effect or raise any money. And I realized that you know as difficult as it is, getting something that's seemingly commercial off the ground is just as difficult as doing a project that you're actually passionate about. And that's when I realized that I just had to write a story that I was really inspired by and really, you know, moved to tell. And that ended up being a story called um, Song of Silence that is about the, um, the comfort women. And I think a lot of people listening to this might be aware of, of the comfort women, but essentially during World War II, the Japanese military abducted over 200,000 women and forced them into sexual slavery to serve their troops. And this is a, um, a story that I learned about actually at the um, Toronto Metropolitan Library where they had a memorial and they had this display with pictures and stories. And, and I was brought to tears actually. I remember just sitting, standing there, staring at these images, thinking, like, how could I be so ignorant that I didn't know this even happened? And then I did further research, and I realized it's because no one knew about it, because this is a story that was buried for 50 years. And that set a fire under me. That, that made me realize that this is a story that has to be told, and no one's telling it. And so I started writing a feature screenplay and, um, and this is where, like, I, you know, I, I barely knew anything about screenwriting. I, I you know, I, I read some, you know, screenwriting books and I had written, you know, I, I had read a lot of scripts as an actor, um, but I was really just learning the format. Um, but again, like, I was, I was just staying up late at night because I was driven to tell this story. And my roommates at the time, they actually joked that, I should set an alarm clock of when to go to bed because it was literally keeping me up at night. And um, actually, I was very fortunate that I ended up winning the slam dance screenplay competition with that script. And the funny thing is, I was actually using screenplay competitions as deadlines for myself. And I submitted to um, you know some of these competitions that were like female oriented or socially conscious theme oriented and slam dance was like one of the biggest or is one of the biggest um, screenwriting competitions and I thought well it costs a little more but they 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 actually provide professional coverage so you know I'm never going to even place but I'll get professional coverage so I may as well apply and then I you know I got a letter saying oh you're a semi-finalist and then I got a call saying, you're a finalist, come to the, D or to the WGA. So I went to the Writers Guild and um, they were gonna announce who was the winner. And they had a lot of the readers there that night. And um, I introduced myself, I'm Miranda Kwok. I wrote Song of Silence. And one of the readers just went, oh my God. She's like, she's like, I read your screenplay and I was 
I was, you know, I just couldn't stop crying. And at that moment, I just thought like, oh my God, if nothing else, that was worth it because I was able to affect somebody and move somebody and actually teach them something that they didn't know before. And then, you know, they announced that I won and I was like, oh my God, like I, it, it totally blew me away. And the irony is I, I, I don't even know because I, because I was using screenplay competitions as deadlines, I would, you know, I would submit and then I'd just keep writing and I'd write the next draft and write the next draft. And I think I forgot to save the copy that I, that I submitted to Slamdance because I looked for it in my files and I couldn't find like, what's the version? <laughs> so I don't even know what version won because I just kept writing because writing is rewriting. Um, so that was my first, I guess the first recognition that I got as a screenwriter. Um, and then, then I, you know, I, I still tried to get an agent, but Slamdance is known as like an independent film festival. So a lot of people who asked for my scripts weren't expecting this like deep historical drama. They thought they'd get some kind of like thriller. And, um, you know, obviously it's not an easy project to get made. So I finally got a referral from a friend, got an agent, and they said like, what about television? And I thought, well, I have no idea about television or how to break in, but I guess it helps to have an agent. So he encouraged me to write a pilot um, I wrote a pilot, it got me a few meetings, and, and then, you know, people said, well, you've proven you can write, now you need to prove you can write someone else's show. So I ended up watching three seasons of House and ended up writing a spec script in two weeks, which, you know, it, it actually surprised me, um, but I, I just studied the, the structure and the characters, and, you know, House is such a fun character to write for. So I sent that to my agent, he said, this has put you at the top of my pitching list. And then the writer's strike happened. <laughs> so then I was, you know, kind of back to square one. And at that point, I, I submitted my script to a lot of the diversity programs at the studios. So um, a, lot of the, a lot of the studios like ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, they all have their sort of beginning writers diversity mentorship programs. And I got into the CBS and I was a finalist for the NBC. And that's when I actually ended up meeting uh, the showrunner for Spartacus. So, um, and actually it, 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 that came about in a very strange way. And the irony is, and I was told this, um, the night that if, I, if I'd gotten into the NBC Writers on the Verge program, um, I would never have met Stephen DeKnight that night. <laughs> And I had actually asked a friend of mine, or actually one of the Sunk Girls, one of the, one of the short films that I produced in film school was about hot lesbian biker chicks. And um, a couple of them um, actually did their own stunts. And so I invited one of the girls out, and it was like this burlesque show in Beverly Hills. So she came out, and over intermission, um, she said, you know, so what's what's going on with you? And, you know, I was I was acting, I was producing, and I was just breaking in as a writer. And I said, well, actually, things are going really well on the writing front. Um, and, you know, I just had three meetings for Lie to Me. I, I um, just got into the, the CBS program. And she said, oh. And she pointed to the guy next to her who had like a shaved head and tribal tattoos up both of his arms and said, you should talk to Steve because he just got his own show and he's staffing next week. 
And so I had no idea that the guy that, you know, the guy that came with Linda just happened to be Stephen Knight. And, um, you know, I just briefly introduced myself. It was over intermission. There was loud music blaring. And I didn't, I didn't really think anything of it because it's Hollywood and you meet people all the time. And the next day, Linda called me and she said, well, Steve was really impressed by you, so do you have a script? So the only TV script I had was House. I sent that over and that night I got an email saying, I read your spec, loved it, and I hate everything I read. Can you meet tomorrow for lunch? So I met, um, oh, and the funny thing is, the first thing he said when I met with him was, I've never been able to Google a writer and see her kicking ass online. <laughs> and he actually Googled me and saw all these martial arts clips of films that I did, <laughs> um, which worked because Spartacus has a lot of action in it. So, um, so we, we, we talked about Spartacus. We talked about my script. He said, well, what else do you have? And the only other script that I had was the Comfort Woman script. And normally, I mean, it's a feature, it's historic and all this stuff. It's not the best TV sample, but Spartacus is about slavery. And so it ended up in a strange way being the perfect sample. So he submitted both my, my house spec and my Comfort Woman script to Stars and Ghost Test Pictures, and two weeks later, I got staffed. So, that was my very fortunate way of um, starting my writing career. Wow, I mean, your story's phenomenal. First off, the fact that you said, you know, you had no clue what it was to write a screenplay or write TV. You just went out there and did it. You gave yourself accountability by going to these competitions as a way to give you a deadline to hand in a script without any, any you know, you, you didn't expect anything out of it. You just made it happen. You got it done. You studied you know, you studied the structures, you studied those characters, and you just made it happen, right? And and a lot of us, sometimes we feel like, you know, I don't know what to do. I have no clue where to start. But you're like, I'm just going to find a way and figure it out, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, there's this contest, I'm going to go for it, right? And even if you didn't get it, at least you went for it versus thinking, you know, what if, right? What if I didn't do that? Or what if I did? And, you know, you know, most of us, we're, we, we live like that sometimes. We're too afraid to just make that first step or make things happen, especially as a, as an Asian woman, right? Even more scary. Cause we're all always taught to like, never make any noise, stay in the background, just do as you're told, like anything outside of what you're told to do is considered shameful. So it's, it's really hard for us sometimes to make that first step because it's, it's the cultural, you know, upbringing that we have. And so, you know, it's, your story is just really refreshing and just showing others what's really possible, right? Like, you don't, you don't always have to know everything. Like you can just figure it out along the way and, you know, study from, from other people, right? Like if you have that passion, you're going to go out there and do it. Like what you did, you have this passion, right? Your friends made fun of you because you had to set an alarm to sleep versus the other way around. Right. And, and, and so it's just, I really love the, you know, your story of how you got into that because it, it's not always, you know, something that's like linear. It's not something that's easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication and passion to go out there and do what you love. Um, but what was that like, especially when the pilot episode came out for The Cleaning Lady? I'm pretty sure you were nervous or you were like, I can't believe this is actually happening or finally happening. And of course, you know, we were hearing all the buzz about this show and everyone was just super excited to see this. But I wanted to know from your end, what, what did it feel like for you? Like, 
watching your pilot episode for the first time on television, especially like on Fox. Oh, it was it was fantastic. I mean, I, um, you know, because we're in a strange world, I just had some close friends over um, people who who have supported me all along the way. Actually, my best friend who I moved in with um, when I moved to L.A. with no job, no car, uh, no work visa. And, uh, you know, I basically moved into her tiny studio apartment and was sharing a futon with her. It was really, honestly, really special to share that moment with the people who have been with me from the beginning, who know, you know, my entire journey and that I really, I, I mean, I started with nothing. I, start, I came here with nothing. I didn't have an agent. Um, I didn't have any connections. And I just literally pounded the pavement to get here. And it was really you know, just heartwarming to, to, to be with my closest friends, to just celebrate that moment. The truth is, sometimes I don't celebrate enough. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that, uh, you know, I guess has, has allowed me to succeed is that Asian mentality of just work hard. And so that's just what I've always done is just like, you just keep working. And sometimes I, I honestly forget to celebrate the victories along the way and to celebrate that moment. And so that was a time where I was able to celebrate that moment. And it, and it was really nice to, I mean, it was fantastic to have that moment where, you know, it wasn't just about me getting a show on the air. It, it's the huge moment um, to have Southeast Asian female leads at the heart of a show, especially a network show. And that to me was, was a bigger celebration. So, you know, that to me was the most exciting thing that, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's history in the making. I feel so fortunate and grateful to have had this opportunity um, to be able to, to do this and, and, and put this show on the air. And, you know, fortunately, I've had so many amazing people who have supported that and supported that vision from the beginning. Um, you know, when I when I first pitched this um, show to Warner Brothers as having a, a Southeast Asian lead, they they embraced the idea right away. And, um, you know, I developed the show with them for five months before pitching it to Fox. And again, as soon as Fox heard it, they were like, yes, let's do this. And they were the first network that we pitched and they picked it up um, to script right away. Um, and then when it actually got picked up to, uh, to pilot, to actually shoot the pilot, they said to us, you know, we recognize um, that this, uh, well, actually, it was the first, um, it was picked up in 2020, in January 2020, and it was the first drama pickup of the year from Fox. And they said to us, you know, we recognize that we will probably have to cast two relatively unknowns to play Tony and Fiona, and we are so excited to do that. We are so excited to find new voices and put these new, um, you know, new faces on on screen. And so, again, I just I, I feel so blessed and so grateful that you know people were just on board. People recognized that there is an audience and an appetite out there for diverse stories and diverse voices, for marginalized voices. And, you know, originally I thought I was going to pitch this to cable and streaming, which is where a show like this would normally be. But Fox, you know, had the, the, the vision to put this 
on network television. Um, and so all of that, you know, all of that is part of the experience, right? It's, it wasn't just that one night. It was all of this, uh, you know, two and a half years of development <laughs> to get to that point. And then to have it so well received has been incredible. So I'm, I, you know, I'm so grateful to everyone for tuning in, especially, you know, live the, the night it airs, because it's so hard to get people to tune in to network television with all the commercials. Um, but everyone did. And that just showed the network that it was worth it and that they believed in this and they were right to. And that, you know, here we are, we're still showing up. Um, you know, week three had numbers that were just as strong. And I think tonight with week four, it's, it's you know, hopefully, hopefully we can keep the, keep the numbers up or maybe even beat them. You know, we've got Lou Diamond Phillips coming um, along with his, his daughter, Gracie Phillips. So um, hopefully that will help boost the show as well. I love it. And I'm excited for uh, see, uh, the next episode, especially with Lou Diamond Phillips. You know, he's been around for so long. Uh, the first time I saw him was when he remade the La, B- La Bamba movie. <laughs> so everyone knows how old I am now, but it's all good. But, um, you know, it's, 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 really, it's really refreshing to see strong female Asian leads on TV, right? Especially uh, with with um you know tony and her her sister-in-law like it's it's important to talk about that and to showcase that and to show like the struggles they go through and how they just keep moving on and finding a way and uh, being resourceful to go out there and just make things happen even when times are tough and you know one thing like i mentioned i liked about tony's character is that when she says no she means no right and it even stemmed from the first scene when one of his her boss or her manager or her coworker was trying to like you know harass her and tell her like if if you give me a, a favor like a sexual favor I'll get you up there and she's like no I'm not doing that that's not even if I'm if if I'm if I'm an illegal I'm it's still a no right and it's it's hard sometimes for asian women to say no to things that don't serve us because we've been conditioned to always just say yes and please other people and never make any noise. And then we go through so much trauma. But now we see this female character who just stands up for herself and she just says no. And she keeps saying no until he gets the point, right? You might have to say it 10 times, 100 times, but, you know, he's saying it. It's like, no, 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 no. And, you know, that's just like, I think such a great opener for the pilot, right? Just to showcase like this girl's a badass. You know, she she is a strong female and, you know, it's like, watch out for her, right? I mean, she's the lead for a reason because we see, you know, the strength of her character and being able to showcase that, you know, even in just the three episodes that's been out right now, like we see, you know, what her character is like, what her personality is like, and we grow to love her because, you know, we want to showcase like this stronger representation and dismantle all the negative stereotypes that we go through as Asian women. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what would be like that one, you know, tip? that you would love to give to our listeners who would want to, you know, be in that same path as you. Maybe they also want to be in Hollywood. They want to be a writer. They want to be an actor. They want to be a producer. I mean, what was, what would be that one tip you would give them as they're starting out? Or even like you mentioned, you you had no clue what you were doing. Like what would, you know, what would be some tips that could help them in their own journey? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, you just have to believe in your own voice and your own vision and let that drive you, let that motivate you to keep going um, because it's never going to be an easy journey. There's never one path. There are so many ways um, to, 
to get from A to B, and there's going to be so many obstacles along that that journey as well. And so whatever it is you want to do, you have to have enough that that really just drives you. Some, some whatever that passion is that is burning inside you, you have to let that drive you because otherwise you're going to get stopped. You're gonna you're gonna let yourself be dissuaded. Um, but you know, if you are able to just keep believing in yourself and what your voice is, that's going to make all the difference. And you know, you can't compare yourself to other people or think that you're not good enough because you know you're you're the only person that is you. You know, you can't compare yourself to to somebody else or what they have or what they're doing. All you can do is work on yourself to make whatever, you know, your whatever your craft is to work on that and make it better because you're the only person who has your own your own unique voice and your own story to tell. And so, you know, let that be your own inspiration for yourself. Miranda, I just want to say thank you again for being in the show. It was so great to have you here and really just, you know, we're so grateful that we were able to hear, hear your story, hear about what you, uh, the, the, the path that you went through, and hopefully this can help, you know, so many listen, listeners out there just forge your own path and realize their potential. Thank you, Shana. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great talking to you too. To learn more about Miranda Kwok, please visit her website at mirandakwok.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Sheena Yap-Chan. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.